coming up on Unpacked. Now you actually had your eyesight for a period of your life. Doctors would tell you that ah, very soon or later you're gonna lose it all. The fact that they could see, it did not give them any advantage over me. You overanalyze things because of the way of what you see. on your screens for years, but today we get to speak to her about her personal journey. Let's unpack. Rulani Baloy, South African journalist and media personality who is best known for co-hosting the SABC1 youth talk show Shift for almost a decade, has never been one to let her disability get in the way of becoming the best version of herself. Born in a small rural village near Louis Trichard in Limpopo, she relocated to Johannesburg after matric to pursue her dream of becoming an educator. This is only the beginning of her journey to become who she is today. This is her story. Let's unpack. Rulani, welcome to Unpacked. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Libu. It's so nice that I get to be interviewing you now for a change. Can we reverse the role? <laughs> no, you, you've had your turn for years, and I'm, I'm so happy that we finally get this opportunity to talk. So you've been on screens for many years, but I want to know about the Rulani. What is your, your, your first memory uh, from when you were a, a child? What do you mean, my first memory? What is the first thing you, your earliest childhood memory? Uh, my childhood memories are just growing up in the villages, under the avocado trees, banana trees, mm. orange trees. You know, I only started buying fruit when I came to Gauteng. Because you had everything there. All the fruit was there. I mean, fruit was snack. And can you it to Village is go ilim, go 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 limpopo. Yeah, mm. next to Lutrichat. Mm. That's mm. where you get all the fresh fruit, all the best fruit that you can ever get in town. Resneka kadi fruits, nersa sneka things that you guys snack on. Oh, you snack guys fruit depending December. on the season. Yes, yes, yes. So now at that time, what was the family structure like, Kohai? Um, it was my granddad. My grandma, my mom and the siblings, and there was me. And I was the me. I was the first granddaughter. Mm, mm. Yeah. When now now you actually have have had your eyesight for a period of your life. Yeah. I, when when I was born, you know, you know, as a child, parents will not tell you actually there's something wrong with your eyes mm. uh, because I could see a bit. There was nothing wrong mm. until when they took me to school. And then I, I could not understand why I had to be taken to a different school far from home. No, they just told me that we're taking you to school and you're going to sleep there, you're going to stay there, you're going to mm. do everything there. I remember I cried. Mm. I cried. I wanted to go home because nothing made sense. Mm. And next time I went home, I'm like, I'm not going back. Mm. I would tell my mom, I would tell my grandma, I'm not going back there. They're like, but you have to go back to school. And then you get to school, the older, the, the, the older girls start asking you, so can you see? I'm like, yes, I can see. 
they're like, oh, okay. It means she's partially sighted. I'm like, what's going on here? What's mm -hmm. going on? Well, then you start seeing other people not being able to see. Then you can see, right? okay. It means there's something wrong with me. So with my eyes, then, yeah, that's what it is. You, then you settle in and you grow knowing that you, you, you've got partial eyesight and they get to, I mean, doctors would tell you that, ah, very soon or later, you're going to lose it all. You know, they look at your eyes and they see how long it can hold on. Mm. And then I was told that I was going to use it up around 12, 13. Mm. By the time I was in high school, 15, 16, then it was all gone. But it was never a breaking story. It was not mm. earth shattering because other people were already blind. So mm. it's just it's just okay. But now there's something interesting you said, Hore, about Blella. They just sent you to a school. When did the realization come to you, Hore? This is what's happening. When when I got there and other people could not see and others could see. So those who could see were partially sighted. And I was always asked, can you see? And I'm like, yes, I can see. Then because I could see where where we when we have to play. I could see where we're going. Yes. And then, you know, I mean, the school that I went to, it was very structured. Mm. Um, when we walk to church, for example, we would walk together, we'd be paired together. If you could see you are paired together with someone who cannot see, mm. then you you get to to work together. And But the chores generally at the school, we do them together. We all got our turn to ring the mm. bell. We got our turn to to water the flowers. Like, we got our turn to do everything. Everybody did everything. Mm. So that's when I was at the school, that's when I got to find out that I was brought here because uh, my eyesight is just different from everyone else at home. But yeah. how, did, um, how did your family figure that out without you being aware what's happening? Because would it not be they you say, who has to tell them? Okay, my, my mom told me. Mm. Um, she's late now. But she told me that when I was born, um, you know the, the, um, the checks that they do on children. Mm. So they automatically told her and the whole family that this child is going to have side problem. Mm. And they told them that when she's about four or five, come talk to us, we're going to directs you to the school where you can take it. Mm. She will never be a problem. But my mom, being a young person that she was at the time, uh, finishing college, she said she was distraught for several days mm. uh, after she was told that your child is going to be blind. And you know, when you are young and you're finishing college and you're being told your child is going to be like this, you think, what's wrong with me? Mm. Why did this happen to me? And then she says one day her, her dad caught her crying and said, why are you crying? What do you think? Mm. Who do you think deserve to have this child? Mm. You're going to get up, wake up, love this child here, all of us as parents, you as you and your partner and you and everyone else, we're going to love this child. You don't know what this child is going to turn out to be. Mm. And she said from that day, she never cried. And I mean, she didn't even know how far I would go with the school, if I would finish. It was just a, a matter of trial and error. But the person who was really much more worried my, was my late grandmother. She actually passed away last year. Mm. So, because I could still even ask her to say, but why were you so worried? I hear you were worried. She's like, I didn't know what the world was going to do to you. And I thought mm. 
if you could stay with me at home, I could look after you until you become an adult. I'm like, Joe, now how do you feel? It's like I, your grandfather knew it all. Mm. I knew nothing and your grandfather just let you go, just let you to be loose. And, and now I understand, like, you know, when you have your high self-confidence, you have, you're brave, you can do things, you realize because your family didn't keep you, they did not hold you back, mm. they did not hold on. You know this thing of parents, oh, my child must just stay here. Mm. People think it's love. I, I feel that anyone who has a child, you must let them be, let them go, let them experience the world. Mm. And I think that's such a good lesson, um, especially for or any parents who may have a child that um, they are getting the same news about mm -hmm. and they don't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Because when you have a child, you have the expectations and the hope that they're 100% healthy and they're not going to face challenges. Yes. So many of them will feel the way your mother felt. Mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. it helps to have somebody like what your grandfather shared. Yes, and, and there was this doctor, a Swedish doctor at the hospital. Her name was Dr. Suta. Mm. She's the one who said, I will make sure that this child goes to school. We'll mm. make sure that we, we, we hook you up with the right school for her, which is now the job which I think um, social workers in hospitals should be equipped to advise parents mm. who have children with disabilities because you give birth, and then you go home, they just tell you, no, every three months, bring back the child for checkups. Mm. They don't tell you what would be the solution. There's no referral to any school or anything. Mm. And not even uh, necessarily on top of that, uh, the information of where a child can go or what support groups are available for the family. Exactly. Mm. 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 So now you go to school and you're fully aware of the reality that you are facing. Um, why? What was the reason that then you never wanted to go back to school every time you came home, Hochak? It was just being a child. Oh, I mean, okay. mm. I mean, my grandfather used to tell people, "This is my first granddaughter, whom I took to school when she was four years old." Mm. So it was just being a child. Mm. But I think at the age of eight or so, I, I was no longer crying. It was just me being a child as to why am I being taken far? I want to stay here. I just want to play. I just want to go to school with everyone else. Mm. I remember my aunt who's uh, like two years older than me. She would wake up and bath and I would go join her. And after the bath, would say, my grandmother would say, don't go. You, you will go to a different school. And for me, it just did not make sense because I was ready. I was ready to go to school. Mm, mm, I would actually say to her, please borrow me some of your uniform. Mm. And my grandmother would say, you can't go. So every time everyone else woke up to bath to go to school, I would do what they are doing, knowing that I will stay there. Yes. Like because, and our school would open a week after. Mm, mm. A, a week after. So I always had a week extra at home. Mm. So, yeah, it, it was just that thing that after a while you get used to it. This, this is routine that you have to live with. And, and it was okay. Then, you know, when you, grade two, when you get to grade seven, grade eight, then with your buddies that you play with at home, mm -hmm. you all start discussing, you realize, oh, we're all reading the same literature. Mm. We're all reading the same books. So this is real school where I go to. Yes. Did you have some kind of 
self-consciousness about the school you're going to because even you saying, oh, this is real school, did you feel like there's something other people were getting at their schools that you were not getting at your school? No, I thought we're actually being taught better. Oh, okay. Because I was being taught in a different language. Yes. I, I, I had to learn Sipedi at school as, mm. as the first language. And, you know, being born in a home where everyone speaks Shitsonga yes. at home. And then you go to school, you have to learn this language from everyone else around you, but you, it's not the language that you speak at home. Mm. And my grandmother used to remind me that first time you came home, you couldn't speak Shitsonga anymore because you spoke deep Sipedi. Mm. But as I grew up, I learned to speak both languages. And actually my Sipedi is much more stronger than my Shitsonga because I had to write it until metric and I was learning as a first language. Mm, mm, mm. And I think that's quite beautiful that your perspective is that you were at a better school. Mm, mm. So when you came home and uh, you were interacting with your siblings, what was that engagement like? Because you were the one who was losing your sight and in as much as you were experiencing it, they were starting to experience it in their own way. There was never any conversation, I, like, I kept the same friends. Um, I kept, like, then there were my younger brothers and sisters coming up, then um, it, it was just never, it was, everything was so easy. So, you know, as a teenager, you just wanna sleep in the afternoons and it has nothing to do with anything. You know, we all experience teenagers differently. Mm. And for me, after lunch, I would just go lie down. And I'll hear my grandfather asking whoever, say, where's Rulam? It's like, she's, she's sleeping. It's like, no, in the afternoon, she must start taking walks. And then, and then, so I continued friendships. I continued playing with the same people I was playing with. Mm. And then my younger, you see, the nice thing about being a firstborn of the firstborn is that everyone who comes after you, it's easier for them to engage with you. And I always ask my younger siblings, were they ever taught that when she comes back, this was this is how you teach it? No, they were never taught anything. Mm. I remember my 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 aunt's son, he's he's the first brother that I have. We used to be so close. We would take walks together after school, like when during school holidays. We would decide tomorrow we're going, we walk into the post office. We'll get there, we bump into my grandfather. It's like, what are you two doing here? Why didn't you tell me I could have given you a lift? It's like, exactly the point. We don't want to be in your company, yeah. you know. <laughs> and That's then, hilarious. And then when, 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 when um, 1994 came, we would walk to political party rallies. Mm. I don't even know why we're going there, but we just loved things. We'd mm. walk to the stadium and then listen to whatever was being said. And then we would do things together. Like all my younger siblings, I mean all my uncles and my aunts' children. I am the I am the eldest. So it was easy to grow up with all of them. Everyone knew Rulani is going to a different school. And then, but when we came back, I would teach them things that I knew. I would help them with their reading, their mm. spelling. They would tell me, this is how you spell this word. I would say, this is how you pronounce it. Mm. it I played that role of a bigger sister. Mm. So it was never, the fact that they could see, it did not give them any advantage over me. I think the beautiful thing about your story is, 
uh, firstly, your upbringing that you were never sectioned off as in you must be treated differently, which uh, uh, I'm sure has empowered you to treat yourself a certain way. Mm. And that has brought you to the point where you've been able to do things that many people would never have imagined you to be able to do. What what are some of those things that you'd say uh, a person who has uh, issues with their sight would never really get the opportunity to do that you got to do in your life? I think a lot of people who are blind, they do everything and everything. The thing is with me, I was so attached to my schoolmates that, um, you know how I ended up at Vets University? It was my mother's insistence. Mm. I wanted to go to University of the North. I wanted to go to Teflu because that was, that's where everyone from our school was going. Mm. And my mother said, no. I said, why not? She's like, you're going to apply for both universities and we'll see which one accepts you. They both accepted me. Mm. And she said, good shot. You must go to Vets University. Mm. So later, after Vets, I asked her, why did you send me to a place where I knew no one? She said, because I wanted you to start your own life. Mm. So my mother also believed in me. And, and she encouraged me to come to Johannesburg. I mean, I was brought up in a family where we're not allowed to visit relatives in Gauteng. My first time to come to Gauteng was when I came to university. Why were you not allowed to visit? My grandparents were very strict. Mm. Even my, my mom, I mean, like, I come from a family where they stay. You would only visit very close relatives who are around, where they know they can go drop you off and come pick you up after a week, mm. or where you know they know you can take a taxi, get there, be safe. Mm. I, I don't know, because my grandfather, before he became a teacher, he worked in Johannesburg. He said he worked in Commissioner Street somewhere. Mm. For some reason, he thought Gauteng was a very rough place. Mm. To the extent that when I came to Johannesburg for the first time, he decided he's going to take me with. And this was the year when he was retiring. Mm. That, like, he just wanted to be part of it all. Mm. And he, was, he wanted to make sure, like, my grandfather was so overprotective. Mm, mm. And he just wanted everything to go right. So you managed to go to, you know, uh, a university that maybe um, other individuals would not have considered. They did consider because after me, after pe- other people from our school came. But the fact that it was far from home at the mm. time, and I wanted to go where all the other blind people I knew were going. So we wanted to continue our own little blind community, if I may put it there. So I wanted to be part of that. And and I realized that my mom wanted me to start a new life together. Mm. She had the foresight to say, no, you're going to go to VETS. And I remember when I was busy registering because it was my uncle and my grandfather who who took me to Vets. So I remember some lady there at the Richardson Temple said, when we finish, I'm going to take you somewhere. You need to go meet those people. So they introduced me to the Disabled Students Unit, mm. which is where this is this is where they they look after the needs of all students with different disabilities. Mm. So I realized that I was not the only blind one, and I was learning um, to live with people who who are wheelchair users, mm. people who. Um, who are deaf. So then I got to meet everyone and 
I think it's a good it's a good thing that university have disabled students unit because then they help you settle in. I mean, you're coming from a school where everything is in Braille, yeah. where everything is, is, is made, is ready for you. So if they don't know that you exist, you're going to go into the exam room where everyone else is sitting. You're not going to find a Braille question yes. paper. Yeah. So at least then they are able to speak to all the faculties where they have students with different disabilities to say, these ones, are, they need you... They need A, B, C, and D to help their studying experience mm. better. Mm. So what are some of the other things that you got to do, like maybe traveling, things like being on TV? Yeah, and, and TV was just... For me, TV... <laughs> you know, when I was at VETS, I wanted to be on radio, and I joined Campus Radio. For me, that's what I wanted to do. But when the opportunities came to say, I must audition for... For television, I'm like, oh, this, this is different, this is new, I'm going to go do it. I'm one of those people who's not scared of doing anything new. And um, in the last few years, I've been doing a lot of traveling with mm. my girlfriends. Mm. I mean, last month we went, spent time in the desert of Namibia, went quad biking, camel riding. I also had my own camel. Mm. And like, I'm not scared to do things that people would look at it and say, oh my God, me on my camel, what if I fall? Mm. I mean, I spent 20 minutes on a camel. I didn't fall. Mm. Yeah, and I was, the, the thing is I can't drive. So I was, I was quad biking with one of the guys there mm. at the place. So I do everything that, that people do. I have... I've traveled on a flight on my own. And yeah, it's for me. And where, where, where were you traveling from where to where? From when I came back from Australia to South mm. Africa, I traveled alone. I went to the US alone and came back alone. I went, to, I've been to Cape Town, even locally, I've traveled alone. Can you imagine though how there's some people who have their sight and would be too scared to do that? you were able to do it. So what is it that brought you to a place that you were able to do it on your own? That's why I'm saying that uh, for me, I'm not the type of person who, look, who looks at why I will not make it. Because if you're focusing on the anxieties and the fears, you will just not do it and other people will do it. So I'm always ready to learn a new thing. I get bored with doing the same thing all the time. I get bored by not being able to get out and try something new. I'm one of those people who I take risks like everyone else. Mm -hmm. you, you, you definitely are not the type of person who seems fearful. So for somebody who is watching at home, whether they are blind or not, um, I mean, what can they take out of your story? You have to be ready to learn. I remember when we went to float in the Dead Sea in Israel. It's not like swimming. Mm. The sea is just there. And then, because I don't have swimming experience, I had to allow people who can swim to teach me on how to float, on how to put your hands, and how, on how to allow your body to be on top of the sea mm. with your mouth closed, because the Dead Sea, that's what it is. Everything just stays there. Mm. So I had to, I went there knowing that I didn't know what to expect. A friend of mine who had been there, she told me that 
it smells and the and the and the water is extremely salty and it is it's actually painful in your eyes mm. so and then someone said i'm going to teach you how to float when we get there and then that person came in they taught me and i got it right mm. and i i enjoyed the experience like everyone else and then i mean in namibia I was actually happy to be on a camel on my own on my own camel it was just me and the camel I had to trust the camel because mm. other people had their own camels as well and I was actually saying to someone last week I think I must go horse riding I must find where's the nearest place where I can go mm. riding horses so I I always love to try new things mm -hmm. um and I, and I think that's such a beautiful thing in in many ways how would you say uh your losing your eyesight has blessed your life i'm not worried about load shedding <laughs> you know if i've cooked i've eaten i've had my cup of tea yeah. it's okay let's just <laughs> Let's just move on. No, but that's not true. So if you want to heat something up, no, you also I'm saying, I, I I'm saying, I mean, the issues of, you see, I don't have, I don't have sighted issues yes. like like you do have. Like, I, I can't remember where we were with, with, with my friends. They're like, yo, this thing, it looks so nice. I said, give it to me. I'll taste it. I'll tell you what I think. Yes. I tasted that thing. I said, it's actually very nice. I said, you guys, you have your side problems. Not everything that looks bad tastes bad. You mm. overanalyze things because of the way of what you see, you know. And and people will be saying to me, if you could see that guy that we're talking to, he's not good looking. And I'm like, okay, for me it doesn't matter. If I ever marry someone who's not good looking, you must know I know he's not good looking. But if he smells better, if he speaks well, if he presents himself well, for me, that's enough. So you guys, you focus only on what you see. Mm. And I try to listen to a person's energy. I try to taste the food, even if they say, yo, this doesn't look nice. I'll say, let me taste it for you because I don't have side issues. Mm. I'm not imagining and my imagination is not dictating that I shouldn't even try this thing. Because you don't have the problem of you eat your food with what you see first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I never thought of that until you you you've mentioned that. Yes, because you guys you you get to a place you're already judging it. Oh, this doesn't look nice. This is not gonna look nice without experiencing it. Like your sometimes your sight clouds your judgments in a way that you don't even think this thing will work out. Which of your um, life memories, and I say life, not career, life memories, are the most stand out, and why? I don't know. I just, I just, I don't know. You know, where when I never thought in my life I would win a SAFTA, and in 2016, when I when when I was invited to receive one, for me that was like, oh, this is me. I've just done this. I got it right. And like, you know, sometimes you live in, you, you congratulate other people who make, who make certain things happen. Certain people who, who you know, okay, this, this thing is meant for certain people. You don't think I'll ever be rec get mm. recognition for that. Mm. And for me, it was a very humbling 
experience when when I got that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's those type of memories where you go to work every day, you do what you do, and then you go home, it's okay. Thank you, Lord. I've been able to do my work. Yes. Gone through another day, and that's it. And then other people look at it in a different way, and they say, you're doing something unusual. And mm. it's, it's, it's just a way of being grateful and people being able to acknowledge what you do. Mm-hmm. Do you have very clear memories of um, things you used to see? Yes, I do. I mean, the colors. Mm. I, I, if we're talking blue, green, yellow, red, all of them, mm. I know what you're talking about. So it's easy for me to match my clothes. Yes, yes. I mean, you do have blue hair right now, and I'm pretty sure you asked for it. Yes, <laughs> I went and I bought it. Yes, and yes. Uh, when I <laughs> when I went to do it, um, yeah, the lady said, "Oh." So you were right that one day you're going to shock me with a different color. I said, yes. I decided I want blue. Oh, okay. You know, just to celebrate, just to to brighten my life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need that. I think it's so inspirational. Just it's all about your attitude and not what, what cards life dealt you. It's what you took with those cards and what you did with your life. And I think it's truly inspirational. Is there anything you'd like to share with viewers watching at home that <laughs> you think they, they, they should know or maybe something they can take away from your life? I, I, I personally feel that it's okay for you to feel, to feel pity for yourself, but don't let it last for too long. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be shocked because some people and many people, they, they, they actually become disabled after they become adults. It doesn't matter what disability it is. Sooner or later, you have to get up and face the world. Because if you stay in your bedroom, if you stay at home and feel pity for yourself, no one knows what your ambitions are. And people can only give you what you ask for. Uh, Before we wrap up on final thoughts, is there anything that you think people who you know, do have their sight and likes to ask you or say to you that's offensive that they shouldn't do, especially for anybody else that they meet uh, that is also blind. They must stop asking for me for a driver's license. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Who asked you for a driver's license? At the bank. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and, sorry, ma'am, it's okay if you have a driver's license. It's okay. I'm like, I don't have it. Oh, sorry, then do you have your ID? Like, it's um, that's what they were taught they should ask for. Yes. Like, I mean, I can't see. Don't ask me for it. I don't have it. <laughs> that you is know? hilarious. And, and you know exactly what you say. So some people are just memorize what they need to do with their job without applying their mind. Yes. I mean, I'm here. I can't see. And I'm like, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for this. It's okay, just give me your driver's license. I don't have it. I'm not about to have it. And I don't think I'll ever have it. So don't ever ask me. People still ask me for it. I cannot believe that people ask you for that. Yes. What else? People send me screenshots on WhatsApp. My phone will just read image. We'll just read Rilebukhile. Image, and I'm not gonna know half the time. I ignore people, but if I think maybe you're trying to communicate something, I'll say, You know what? I don't know what you sent me. Please just subtitle and write very quickly. Because I mean, you know what? Do you think it comes from a place of 
ignorance? Yes. It's, it's, um, like, people where does always it come say to, from? No, people say to me, we always forget that you can't see. I'm like, yeah, because I'm used to making a plan. You guys, you're used to me making a plan for everything. Yeah. And you think in the middle of the night, you send me a screenshot. Like if, if, if for coming here today, I had been sent a screenshot, I would have called the producer to say, no, it's not going to work. Send yeah. me something that I can read to my driver to tell him this is where we're going. Yes. So it's, I, I don't think people do it intentionally. Or, 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 you know, this other thing, I just want to challenge big business. Please, those debit card machines mm. that we use, the ones where it has those numbers, it's got a touchscreen thing, yeah. and then apparently it, the numbers are not in order the way we would know it, one, two, three, four, yes. five, six, seven, eight, yes. nine, and then zero. Those things, guys, they should go. Mm. I don't think even sighted people can use those things or people are comfortable. Can we just stick to things that are easy to use? Yes. And like, as tech, I love technology. I've learned to use a touchscreen phone and me and my phone, we are happy. But don't send me screenshots and don't expect to do, me to do things that I cannot do. Mm. You, you know, it's, I don't think people, but people just over, they think, you can do everything that they can do. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe people uh, just, it's exactly like what you say. If they're so used to you making a plan, they don't take responsibility of trying to assist to accommodate, where they can and where, accommodate and make Where them, they can. I yeah. mean, if you send me scanned documents, my computer or my phone is not going to be able to read. Yes. Yeah, so it's... It's simple things like that. Mm. But you, you are happy when you get to a point where actually, you know, people have... have um, I, I've been in some airlines where they bring you a Braille safety manual. Okay. Yeah, I've seen it on SAA. I've mm. seen it on other international airlines. Mm. And, but I just feel that our world is not made for people who cannot see. Mm. Mm. And I have to find myself being helped... Uh, in places where I would normally have to be able to sort myself out because everything is just going touchscreen. Everything is just, you just put your finger there and it is done. You know, things like that. And those things are so disabling. Mm. I actually just had a thought now that digitization, um, is it actually working against many of the things you've learned? Is it simplifying it for the world that can see but making it harder for the world that cannot. It, there, uh, there are some things that we cannot access, mm. which which are only which only you know how to work through them. Mm. I mean, we've been forced to learn how to use touchscreen phones, then because you've got it can talk back to you, but also you must be able to use it. There are certain functions where you can't give instructions to your, instruction to your phone, so it's still important to know your screen to know where what is mm. for you to work at it. And I mean, I'm very active on social media. I'm very active on, on Twitter. And that's the only space that I'm really very, very active. And I enjoy staying there as mm. long as it's not toxic. Yes. But if I'm alone at my house, I cannot access catch up because it is screen driven. Mm. It does not talk. It's not, if it was on my phone, at least I would know where to go 
to find what I'm looking for. Like, I can navigate my phone between WhatsApp, emails, LinkedIn, text messages, uh, Twitter, and everything else that I'm looking for. I can Bluetooth my music and play the music that I want to play. But with ketchup, it's just one thing that I cannot do when I'm alone at home. And, and that happens more often. And maybe the challenge is that nobody would consider that you would want to be, in inverted commas, watching that platform. But if I don't watch that platform, I cannot watch a platform of darkness, you yes, know? Yes, we, yes, yes. Even blind people, we watch soapies, we watch yes. things on television. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's valid. What are some of the do's and don'ts? Uh, you know, you, you, you run your own business, you're a career woman um, that you think people should know about. About me, I told you about don't send me scanned documents and yes. you're not prepared to talk me through them. And then just because I have a one disability, it doesn't mean a one size fits all. Yes. It, yeah, it, every disability has its challenges and mm. has its pluses. Like, for example, I was at an airport where they brought me a wheelchair. Mm. And wow. call me and ask me what assistance are you going to need. Don't, Why was that the assumption? The assumption is because I wrote assistance needed. You know at that yes. block where you write assistance yes. needed. So they deployed everything that they thought I could need, including a wheelchair. Mm. So I said, no, it's okay, I can walk. Hmm. So never assume anything about me without asking. Ask me, uh, so how are you going to get here? Are you okay? Are you going to need transport? Like, have a normal conversation that you would have with everyone else. Hmm. And if, if I have any extra things to ask for, I will tell you, can you please try to, if you have access to a Braille document, can you please get that ready for me? Mm. And never assume all blind people can read Braille. Mm, mm, Not mm. all of us can read Braille. It's just some of us who had the, the, the pleasure to be taught how to read Braille that we can read it. Mm, mm. And never assume that I'm not an economically active South African. I'm economically active. I pay taxes and I give back to societies mm that I live within. Just because I'm blind, I'm not, I'm not saying, guys, I don't appreciate the tenders that you offer me, but all I'm saying is that there is someone out there who needs it more than I do. And As in, so you're saying in respect to people that just offer you money because you are blind? Because you're blind and you know what they think. They say, no, if we, we hear that if you give money to a person who's disabled, you're actually, uh, you will be lucky. How? I, I don't, you know, things that people say about, you know, those myths about disabled people. Mm -hmm. They don't think you're a social being. They don't think you're a sexual being. They don't mm -hmm. think you're a decision maker. They don't think, like, they think you come after the fact. And Are you, they, are you dating at the moment? <laughs> I mean, you know what? now that we're here, are no. you dating? You, you know what? If, if you Google Rulani Baloy, the most searched things is, is she married? Ah, Can I never I, said people, married. No, 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 no. I I'm saying, no, no, no. I'm saying, it, 
I get to be so curious. Why are people interested? But but isn't it beautiful? The fact that you've even mentioned, you know, Rulani is a sexual being. You don't even need to be dating to be Yes, but uh, no, no, no. But sexual. what I'm saying is, uh, like, uh, the reason why I, I gave that example is because um, there's a lot of people with disabilities when they go to primary health care clinic asking for contraceptives. Mm. Nurses frown at them. And that's why people get pregnant at home because people don't have access to contraceptives and condoms. Mm. So we are treated differently when it comes to certain things. You don't think that the feelings that you have are also, as a teenager, I am a hormonal being. I want to experiment on this and that. So mm. what I'm saying is that all of you who work in clinics or who are doctors, doctors and someone with a disability come and you want to call everybody to say, come and see, she's highly pregnant and she's on a wheelchair. This is so wrong. I'm actually just so grateful that you were able to share the things that you've shared. You have opened our eyes. And when I, I use that phrase very intentionally because it is not even about sight, it is about opening the mind to experiences that we've never considered, to things we've never thought about. And I'm hoping, much as you don't like being interviewed, that this conversation <laughs> is worth it for you because it isn't just about being blind. You have a whole life and experiences that we can pick up gems and important life nuggets from. So Rulani, thank you so much. Finally, I get to interview you and you've been interviewing um, me for years. Thank you, Lebu, for inviting me. And yeah, I wish you and everyone else only the best. And you people who have just become people who live with a specific disability, get up, stand up. No one is going to judge you. The world is waiting to receive you out there. There we go. There we go. Thank you so much to our guest and to all of you for watching. Hashtag Unpacked with Rilebukhile. Anything you would like to share, please do. We invite you into the space, especially when it comes to conversations. Thank you for joining us. Have a good night. Next time on Unpacked. It must be extremely difficult living in the shadow of your parents. I was treated very differently. In a bad way or in a good way? In a bad way. I want to make sure that when I'm in studio with that man, we stand toe to toe. Unpacked with Rilebukhile Maboja. New episodes weekdays at 5.30pm on my YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe. Television edited broadcasts weekdays at 5pm. Open up to S3.